0: My name is Pedram Rajabifard, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now, the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. All right, let's start the show. Just a couple of quick points before we get started on this week's episode. First of all, thank you to everyone who's messaged us with positive or constructive feedback. We take everything on board and we actually get really super, super excited. Probably too excited when we see that we have a new message or email. Um, I swear we're not weird, but it just happens. Second, we've had some feedback saying that we've been repeating some of the specialties, such as having two cardiology podcasts. When we set out to do this podcast, we wanted both the view of a consultant and the view of an accredited registrar for the different specialties. For this reason, you'll see that some of the specialties have two episodes, because we're essentially trying to give you a broader view and different opinions on the same matter. Hopefully this makes sense and hopefully you guys enjoy both of the episodes. But if you don't think this is helpful, please let us know. Lastly, we've started recording our next podcast series where we discover doctors who lead really interesting double lives. So we've been interviewing doctors who are magicians, fashion designers, professional sports stars, or who've created apps or websites. If you know of a doctor who's leading an interesting double life, let us know so that we can interview them and have them up for our next series. Rest assured, however, that we'll still be releasing episodes in this series for a while yet. Thanks, guys.
1: Hi, everyone. Today, we are here with Chris Karianis, who is a consulted geriatrician. He's also currently working on his PhD. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Um, Could you start by telling us when you decided that geriatrics was the specialty for you? Yeah,
2: sure. So, I started off deciding that I wanted to do physician training as opposed to surgical training or, you know, GP training. So I, I commenced my um, basic physician training and I think it was just towards uh, the, th- in the start of the third year. So just before I sat my written exam that I decided that I definitely wanted to do, um, geriatrics and of course I had had the chance during my first couple of years of physician training to try a few of the specialty so that's why I hadn't decided because I had a few that I wanted to decide between and then I made that decision just before.
1: Yep. so what has your sort of journey been since you finished medical school until now?
2: Um, so I started off um not really knowing what I wanted to do because in medical school, I went to medical school in Auckland, uh, but I'm the this, this sort of medical student that I liked everything. You know, I do a rotation, I'd be like, oh, I really like this, you know, I did ONG and I like that. I did orthopedics and I like that. So I really went into my internship not really knowing, but having done the mixture of, inter- uh, of surgical jobs and uh, medical jobs in my internship, I decided that surgery wasn't for me because I thought that although I liked being in theatre I didn't think that I would enjoy being the one actually doing the surgery uh, so I decided to think more about physician training so I then came to Australia for my resident year and um, I did a general year although I was later able to accredit it as a medical year, which I believe you can no longer do. Mm -hmm. But I did a number of medical rotations, which I enjoyed, including geriatrics, hematology, uh, and oncology. And then that's why at the end of that year, I decided to continue um, with physicians and um, do more rotations, do the exam, and then start geriatrics, which is advanced training.
1: Yep, that's great. So have you always planned to work in Australia?
2: Um, no. So I, I decided to move over mostly for personal reasons because um, Auckland, although it's a reasonable size city, mm-hmm. I wanted to try living in somewhere bigger. Yeah. And also because Australia has a really good reputation for uh, being good for doctors in terms of working conditions compared to New Zealand, which I, I, I think certainly for junior doctors is true still.
1: Yeah, sure. Have you done any other degrees since your medical school? So you mentioned that you were doing a PhD. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. so have you done any other research um, before now?
2: No, so uh, as part of our advanced training, we're required to do a research project. So it's compulsory for all the um, geriatric trainees, and I think it's all in all the physician specialties, everyone has to do a uh, research type project. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 100% sure that geriatric trainees need to do it. And so that was my first exposure to research. And I quite enjoyed the project that I did. And so I had the opportunity to start a PhD and use that um, as my final year of advanced training. Uh, and so I thought that would be a good chance to, to really expose myself to research, which is such a big part of medicine and um, come away with something that would be useful with my career. And also, uh, I could use it to do further research if I wanted to, but at the same time, if I chose to continue with purely clinical work, I also could do that.
1: Yeah, that sounds really good. So do you think it's important for medical students um, and junior doctors who want to get into geriatrics to do a bit of research?
2: Um, It's definitely an advantage. Uh, geriatrics is certainly becoming more popular Mm -hmm. and uh, having done some research um, will definitely give you an advantage so I would recommend it and of course it's good to have any research experience but one that's relevant to the specialty that you're intending to apply for will be better so if you wanted to do geriatrics having something that's relevant to to geriatrics would be better um, in terms of research
1: yeah And how would you recommend medical students or junior doctors to find projects related to geriatrics?
2: That's a good question. Um, I think that during your rotations, if you come into contact with anyone who's a geriatrician, then you could ask them if they're aware of any opportunities. Uh, For example, you might be doing a general medical rotation, but happen to have a geriatrician um, consultant. So you could ask them. Um, alternatively, I think if you approached one of the, um, senior, uh, one of the clinicians at your clinical school, you could ask them if they're aware of any contacts, um, in terms of, uh, geriatricians who do research at the moment, uh, I'd say that a minority of geriatricians d- do research. So it, it is, it is. It's not as easy to probably find a project as it would be for some other specialties.
0: Yep, sure. Make sure to keep in touch with
2: us through social media.
0: Our handle is at themedcollab, that's T H E M E D C O L L A B, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. Now back to the show.
1: So you mentioned that geriatrics is quite popular now. How long would be the average time frame of getting onto a registrar training program?
2: So I believe at the moment there's still a high chance of getting accepted on your first application. But, um, so I don't, I'm don't. i afraid that I don't know the percentage. When I was coming through, it would have been 100%. If you pass your exam, then you would be able to get a registrar job. And I believe that they do turn some people away now. So having that research um, experience would definitely give you an advantage in that respect. And of course, having strong references and um, relevant experience um, would also improve your chances of uh, getting into the program.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So could you tell us a little bit about what your typical day or week involves?
2: Sure. So currently I am working part-time in... General medicine, um, although I'm a geriatrician and I do my PhD, PhD the remainder of the time. So my typical day when I'm doing purely PhD, so when I'm not on ward service, uh, is simply um, doing my research work. So that involves um, reading, you know, journal articles, uh, writing review chapters, and analysing. Uh, results from my research so that involves a lot of statistical analysis and interpreting uh, the analysis. I have to put them together in in a format in which other people can um, read them and discuss them with my colleagues so that we can work out how to interpret the results and then of course I have to write them into manuscripts and um, apply, send them to um, peer-reviewed journals to have hopefully have them published. So it's really, a it's, it's quite a variety in terms of different tasks that I do, but it's focused more on um, the same topic because it's a PhD. And in terms of my, if I'm on ward service, what I would usually do is I would come to uh, do my ward round in the morning. And then I, so I go around and see my patients. And then I would just do my research work in the afternoon and I might be called Um, by my registrars to go back and see another patient or if there's they're having issues with a patient I might have to go to the ward to assist with a family meeting or difficult discussion Um, and occasionally I also uh, will do maybe consult work so um, consult with patients um, for patients who are planned to be sent to subacute care to give my approval for that which is um, a geriatrician role Um, And what else was I going to mention? One more thing I was going to say. Oh, and occasionally I also have clinics. So I have been working up until recently in a stroke clinic in a fellow capacity as well. So I have quite a big variety of things, which I do, which I quite enjoy.
1: Yeah, that's really good. So how much time would you actually spend split between clinical and non-clinical?
2: So, yes, for me at the moment, it's a majority of non-clinical work. So I'd say it's probably 70%... um, non-clinical um, however once my phd is completed i'll be doing more clinical work yeah. probably the reverse i'll probably go up to doing about 70 percent clinical work yeah and 30 percent non-clinical
1: cool um is there much room to sub-specialize within geriatrics
2: um yes you can there's definitely a large scope for that i'd say because geriatrics is a very broad specialty um, in that we're really generalists who are specialists, so you as a dietitian have to be able to deal with diseases of all different organ systems because we specialize in a particular age group as opposed to just one organ system. Yeah. So among especially the very elderly patients such as those over 80, uh, we are often the only ones um, dealing with them. Um, so and in addition to that, we have our own group of diseases that affect mostly the elderly, which you're probably aware of, such as um, falls, dementia, and delirium uh, incontinence. And so as a geriatrician, you can lean into one of those areas. So for example, there are many geriatricians who specialize in dementia. So they do a lot of dementia clinics, um, which are, you know they, they take quite a lot of time. So you can really dedicate yourself to that if that's your area of interest. Um, there are geriatricians who do work, a lot of work in incontinence and learn how to do and interpret the urodynamic studies which um, are performed at the outpatient clinics. Um, there are geriatricians who specialize in falls and, and do falls clinics. Um, geriatricians who specialize in chronic pain and, and do pain clinics. And there are even geriatricians who choose to specialize in Parkinson's um, which you know, is a sort of realm that we share with neurology. But if you were particularly interested, um, that's a very few neurologians who do that, but if you were very interested, you could certainly move your practice into that area, especially if you're willing to go out into perhaps um, rural areas as well, yeah. where there might be fewer other specialists.
1: Sure. What would you say is the most rewarding part of your specialty?
2: Um, I think that uh, well there's a lot Uh, I really enjoy and the thing that made me want to go into physicians is the um, making a diagnosis Uh, perhaps you know a patient has been having a difficult time and um, you know some worrying symptoms and they're very anxious and you make a diagnosis that um, allows them to be treated Um, then that is, you know, that's a really rewarding feeling. And of course, as geriatricians, we do get a lot of undifferentiated problems. So it's an opportunity for you to um, make the diagnosis. Um, And I also think that um, probably the most important quality or one of the most important quality for a geriatrician is is to be a very, uh, enjoy social interactions and, you know, prolonged social interactions are common and it is one of the more rewarding aspects of the job when you know that you have made a difference to a family who've been very anxious perhaps about their relative perhaps they've got a relative with dementia who they're very concerned about they're very worried about how they're getting on at home and nervous about where to next and through speaking to them coming up with a diagnosis and a plan, you know, either whether that's to help them stay at home with increased supports or to, um, have them move to a nursing home is often very rewarding because, um, you know, people are very appreciative that you've spent time listening to them. Um, you've given them the, the truth and not try, you know, come up with a a diagnosis and be honest about the prognosis. Um, and I've, you know, personally just had a lot of people very, very thankful for that. So that's one aspect of it that I enjoy. So I often tell people, if you don't enjoy prolonged social interactions with patients, then geriatrics is probably not the specialty for you.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, on the other hand, what aspects of your job do you struggle the most with?
2: So that's a good question. I mean, I think it's probably the same thing. So it's, again, the challenging social interactions and the challenging... Um, patients and families that um, can make the job difficult at times. I suppose a good example is in geriatric wards, um, patients can end up getting stuck because, um, you know, you might, for example, have a patient who has very limited insight um, into the fact that they have dementia and they may not be wanting to move into a nursing home. You have to be able to communicate with a lot of you know, the family, but also other staff this precious from the hospitals who don't want patients to remain in hospital for a long period of time. So that can, is probably the most challenging aspect.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that'd be pretty difficult.
0: Please make sure to complete the survey for this episode. We want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine. The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog.
1: Um, where do you see your field in about 5 to 10 years?
2: Um, so I think that the field of geriatrics is definitely, I mean, obviously it's growing because of the increasing aging population. And with that comes, you know, the, the prevalence of dementia is going to increase and more people... Um, living longer, but being very disabled, needing care. So the need for geriatricians is going to increase. In five to 10 years, I imagine that the services will start to become more expanded. So I think that you'll find that subacute departments will be growing. You know, there'll be more beds dedicated to um, elderly patients. And I think we're going to start seeing more... um, hospital-in-the-home type services where we have doctors such as geriatricians more going out to nursing homes, more going out to people's homes to see them, trying to keep people um, out of hospital and in their own homes and then um, nursing homes as much as possible Um, because, you know, I'm sure that your listeners are aware that the hospitals are becoming more and more overburdened And I I think that's probably where to next in terms of um, aged care.
1: Yeah, so would there be much of a scope for private clinics now since, as you said, the hospitals are getting pretty Mm. up?
2: So, I mean, I guess clinics are useful in terms of, clinics are very, having private clinics is useful um, for us in the public hospital in terms of getting patients followed up. So for example, you might have a patient who comes in and they're on a lot of medications and they're having falls and you think that it would be better if someone could down titrate the medications gradually. And often the uh, GP might be hesitant to stop medications that have been commenced by other specialties such as the cardiologist and the gastroenterologist whereas the geriatrician would be more comfortable. So if you know there's private geriatricians in the area and you, could, you can just refer, and that's very handy to have. Of course, private clinics can't take inpatients, so if they need an inpatient stay, that's not useful. Um, in terms of private hospitals, that's sort of a growing area for geriatrics too. But there are um, constraints on the amount of time that hosp- patients are able to remain in private hospitals, which can be relevant to geriatric care, because sometimes people might need a little bit more than the two weeks that their insurance company will provide, and in that case, they end up coming to the public hospital anyway. Yeah. So it does have its limitations.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how would you say your work-life balance is at the moment?
2: Uh, I think it's good. I mean, for me, um, doing a PhD, it's gonna, it, it, it's really terrible towards the end, I believe. So I'm sort of a year off. So it's starting to ramp up now. So uh, it ends up being a lot of writing and I believe a lot of late nights. So that I'm not looking forward to, but currently I'd say that, um, I, I work reasonable hours. I do a lot of weekends in order to, uh, supplement weekend work in order to supplement my, um, research income, which is a lot less than a clinical income, but it works out quite well when I do that all together so I sort of piece together um, bits of clinical work with the uh, income from doing research. Uh, Obviously I've sacrificed income in order to obtain the qualification so that will be um, improved once I've completed it.
1: Yeah so are your work hours quite predictable?
2: Uh, Yes Uh, so now that I'm a consultant I tend to work just eight sort of either 9 to 5 or 8 to 5, something like that. And in, when I do weekends, I just work do a ward round in the mornings. Uh, and that's general medicine. Uh, and then I'm on call sometimes, which means I just receive phone calls, potentially at night, but usually um, it's, uh, I don't get called that much. Yeah. So they're, to answer your question, they're fairly predictable, yes.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, so what sort of people do you think should do geriatrics?
2: So I sort of touched on this a little bit before. I think, um, I think that you have to enjoy interactions with patients and families. So I mean, um, you know, I enjoy being able to explain medical, complex medical things in layman's terms, um, and having people understand and. Um, you know, I think it, it, it's a challenge because often we're talking about very complicated um, subject matter. So I enjoy that, that challenge. So I think if you you've, you have strong communication skills, that's probably um, one of the most important aspects. Mm-hmm. Additionally, I think, like I mentioned, you have to enjoy the challenge of making a diagnosis because you're getting a lot of um, un- undifferentiated um, people come in, patients come in, and you can't just say, well, this is not a, you know, problem of, you know, like, say, if you, for example, you were a different specialist who specialised, say, if you're a vascular surgeon, you could say, well, this isn't a vascular problem, I'm just going to um, refer on. We are sort of the end of the line. I mean, we have to, if we don't know the diagnosis, we have to try and come up with one. So if you enjoy that sort of thing, then um, that's another um, good quality that, um, that I think a geriatrician should have. Um, I think that um, in addition to wanting to interact with patients, enjoying interacting with other staff is very important because we work in a multidisciplinary team. So, um, you know, on the typical subacute ward, you would be interacting with physiotherapists, Occupational therapist, dietitian, um, social worker, you know, and you try to have to try and understand their craft and what they do. And um, you know, if you enjoy learning about those aspects of medicine too, well, yeah, of health, then you'll you'll enjoy that because you'll be able to learn a bit about what they do, and you get bits in here and here and there. And knowing, for example, how nursing homes work how people can pay for a nursing home once they retire. I mean, you'll, you have to learn these things as a geriatrician. And if you find that appealing, then I think that also um, is a good quality.
1: Mm, yeah. Um, so just out of curiosity, when a patient, an elderly patient comes in with a specialized problem, do they come under geriatrics and then you just get consult or input from a specialty? Um, or do they go under that particular specialty and then they get geriatrician? Um, input.
2: Yes. Uh, it's usually, so it depends where you work and what state you're in as well. So in Victoria, it does vary at network to network. So uh, this network has a acute um, geriatric unit. So they try to put patients over 80 who come in with um, a medical issue who would have gone otherwise under general medicine into this particular unit um it depends on who's referring so the person for example the emergency department may try and refer to cardiology um but if the patient's elderly often they will ask them to come in under general medicine or a geriatrician and they'll just provide consult and it, it, you know if they're not going to undergo a procedure then personally I'm happy for that I'm happy to manage um uh, older patients who come in with say a non-STEMI and and then just get advice from cardiology um, about that and I think that's important because as geriatricians we need to rationalize what we do to the patients with respect to their various other problems that other specialists may not consider for example a patient who comes in who is falling you know 10 times a week, you might be a little bit more hesitant about pushing that beta blocker, you know, to lower their blood pressure to as low as possible for their ischemic heart disease. So we we sort of will get input from other specials, specialties and sort of rationalize it all together. And I think that's something that we do um, well. Um, for example as well, you know, you might have a patient with dementia who's from a nursing home and we might advise some strong limitations of treatment in that case because um, the chance of the treatments improving the patient's quality of life are going to be lower um, if they've got a high level of background disability.
1: Great. Well, I think that's all of my questions for today. Um, Is there anything that you know now that you wish you'd known when you were an intern or any advice you'd like to pass on to medical students?
2: Just in general? Yes. Things I wish I'd known um, as an intern. Oh, that's a hard question. You've stumped me. Um, I think, well, I think one of the things that's useful to, to, I don't know if I really didn't know it as an intern, but one of the things that I found useful as an intern was to realize all the resources that you have available to you. So for example, um, when I started working, into my first rotation, I would ask the pharmacist a lot of questions, especially because at, our, at the hospital that I was working at, the pharmacists seemed to have a lot of, you know, you, you're working amongst a lot of very busy people, and so sometimes grabbing a hold of um, advice is hard. And the, you know, the at the hospital I was working at, the clinical pharmacists seemed to have more time to talk to you, and so that w- I found that really useful. Just ask, you know, if I wasn't confident about charting a medication, I would ask them. And they often gave me really good advice. So just knowing who you need to, who you can talk to um, and resources that the hospital has available for you, um, I think can be helpful.
1: Awesome. Great. Well, thank you for your time.
0: No,
2: you're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview, or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. Alright guys, see you next week.